Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi and with me is Armin Navabi. Looking Hello. You look very fresh faced and, and young. You look younger today. You actually do you look did you get a haircut? Uh, no. No. Okay. You didn't. All right. All right. <laughs> this is Armin Navabi. You know, he's right. a catch. He's got the body of a god. I also have the body of a god, but it's the chubby Buddha. You know, the chubby mm. I forget it. Guys, uh, uh, this is a terrible start. We should just start this over, right? Again? No, no, it's good. It's oh, God. All right. Hey, so here it is. So this is a topic a lot of people have been asking us about, right? Uh, and people definitely ask me about it individually, too, because a lot of people don't. Um, I guess they don't know. We've got these two. We're going to be talking about Iran and Saudi Arabia. Now, both of these countries are theocracies. They're both Islamic theocracies. Iran is a Shia Islamic theocracy. Saudi Arabia is a Sunni Islamic theocracy. And they're not very fond of each other. In fact, they're engaged in a proxy war with each other. Um, and it has uh, it completely reshapes the geopolitical milieu of the Middle East. Um, it, it has. It's shaped it for, for decades now. And it continues to do it. And it keeps on changing. So uh, today what we're going to do is, you know, talk about Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, what their differences are uh, in terms of their theocratic setup and their, their governments. Well, no, I mean, beyond the obvious ones, not like I'm, yeah. what we're trying to do, like, oh, one is Shia, one is Saudi, like, no, like, um, especially in recent years, um, there seems to be, there seems to be a divide among, especially people from, North American and Western European countries. And it seemed like without making it very obvious, they're taking sides, not necessarily being pro-Iran you know, or pro-Saudi, but being a little bit more anti-Saudi and somewhat going in close to making excuses for Iran or mm -hmm. the other way around uh, being more anti-Iran and somewhat making somewhat excuses or being more lenient against Saudi Arabia. And it seems, it's weird to me because I know they would deny this, but it does seem like the, there's a left-right divide, divide on this, right? Mm -hmm. Like there seems to be, if you're a leftist, you're more harsh on Saudi Arabia. And, you know, you're not going to, defend the mullahs in iran but you're going to be like dismissing it or any if anybody speaks against iran you're going to be more skeptical about it you're going to make you're going to claim like yeah they have a problem but maybe it's exaggerated and then the other way around the right you know it seems like republicans um especially they're more e they're easier to believe um narratives against the Islamic Republic of Iran. And again, they don't make excuses for Saudi Arabia, but they're not as open to go after pointing out the problems with Saudi Arabia. You know what I mean? Um, or, you know, they just maybe they don't pay attention to it as much. Their politicians seems to be more in line with supporting Saudi Arabia and I don't know. It's just it's just very or just look the other way when it comes to Saudi Arabia's human rights violation. So it's very interesting to me. I've been noticing that. So I just wanted to say, like, even in re you know, we could go. We already have done like a, um, you know, we have done streams on showing what how different these countries are when it comes to their theology, their religion, um, early history. Um, 
early modern history between like after the Islamic Republic, the 19, after 1979 uh, revolution, how the relationship between the House of Saud and the Vilayat Faqih in Tehran, um, and the reason why they're proxy wars. You know, we, we have gone really deep into that. But in comparing them now in recent years and the bias that might be there or and whether or not it's justified or not, that's something that I, that might we might want to talk about, especially um, in three or four different areas. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think that so, some of the uh, apologetics for Iran that you're talking about, hmm. it, it's interesting how they actually fall into the kind of value systems that the left and right have as well, because you know the left is all about people are oppressed so you know they'll talk about iran like everybody's ganging up on them all these other countries can have nuclear weapons why can't iran um mm. there's a uh you know that iran has never actually gone out they they say that they've never actually engaged in any kind of like, right. violence overseas or anything but hmm. they, they they i've actually heard these narratives even though they do all this stuff like supporting syria and assad and all that stuff but they um <laughs> They say, well, Iran is getting fire from all sides. Like Israel wants it, is against Iran. The U.S. is against Iran. Everybody has issues with it. So they're they're kind of like this oppressed country, right? And then yeah. you have the whole Mossadegh thing, where the you know, the British and the CIA went and just booted a a, a in 1953 a democratically elected um, government, mm -hmm. and they installed a dictatorial government, right? Um, no, I, I'm saying that this is the narrative. This is the kind of thing that they think of. So they paint Iran as a victim. The, the, the well, left really does that. Yes, yes. And that is absolute nonsense. I mean, let's say not not Iran. I mean, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the government, right? Um, so again, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes here because I'm going to keep saying Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, and if I wanted to be more careful, I would be saying... Iran's government, Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and Saudi's government, right? We consider both the Saudi people and Iranian people as victims here as well. Uh, so it's just like it's just easier to just say Iran and Saudi Arabia. But if I'm careful, if I'm careful enough, I'm just going to keep referring to the governments instead of to the to the to the country as a whole. Um, there are uh, four areas that I thought, like when it comes to recent years, if I, if we wanted to compare. We could talk about and those four areas is terror attacks right uh number one um free speech issue the you know the most journal let's let's not talk free free speech could get like an entire stream on that right um i there's one incident in each country that i want to compare when it comes to a specific journalist in each country, and I think some people already know what I'm referring to when I say that. Uh, I want to compare that, and then the the oppression um, and you know attack on their own people, right? In Saudi Arabia and Iran, in Iran, and when it comes to attacking people outside of their border on a mass scale. Both countries I want to compare. And also, if you hear somebody say, like, oh, well, they're all the same, they're all Islamic theocracy, so they're all the same. No, they're not. You're an idiot. Okay. Um, it's an very it's a, it's very easy for people to just, you know, people like you know, if even though I'm gonna mention show some similarities here, I think people like to have very easy answers to things because it makes them feel like they understand how things work because it's easier to grasp it like this. So like, oh, Saudi Arabia is an Islamic theocracy. Iran is an Islamic theocracy. That's all you need to know. They're both the same thing. No, you just try to simplify something complicated to, because it was harder. It was hard for you to try to understand the nuance and the details behind this thing. And that made you seem like an idiot to yourself. And you don't like to feel like an idiot to yourself. So you come up with a simplified version of what's happening, and now you think you understand the simplified version, and now you look smart. Um, but no, you, the reality is that you are actually an idiot. Um, so, but let's actually... Nice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, ignorant, maybe not an idiot. Um, <laughs> so... Thank you, thank you. That's, that really saved everything. 
Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so let's start with. I don't know which one we want to start. With. Okay. Yeah. So actually, the one that you said, Ali. Uh, I mean, you suggested it a little bit. Is the main one that people like Kyle Kalinsky, for example, touch on, right? They say, oh, look at 9-11. Who did 9-11? I don't know. So many of the attackers in 9-11, they were from Saudi Arabia. 15 of the and, 19. Yes. And we're so buddy buddies with the country that was responsible for 9-11. But you look at, look at Iran, though. Have they done any terrorist attacks? They haven't done any terrorist attacks. And yet they, the country that is not responsible for any terrorist attacks, they are the enemies. But the country that gave us 15, the majority of the people that did 9-11 attack, that country we are allies with. Yeah. And they don't tell you this in mainstream. This is what they follow up with. Uh, and, uh, oh, and to, they don't to be tell, clear. No, hold on. Let me, let, yeah. But this is also like, they don't tell you this in mainstream media, don't they? And they do, actually. They You hear this. You have I have heard this same line a million times in mainstream media, but every every time one of these uh, live streamers like Kyle Kolinsky or one of them else tell you, they don't tell you this in mainstream media. They actually do tell you that in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. But go on, Ellie. What were you no, no. I just wanted to be clear. I mean, th th he is right about Saudi Arabia. Like, it is true that fifteen of the nineteen hijackers were from there. It is true that they've yeah. done like incredible, uh, you know, they have the, the way that they. I mean, I wrote about this in my book in the very first chapter that the kind of stuff that they have in their textbooks from you know grade one to grade twelve. I mean, it's an it's mass indoctrination of an entire population. So well, that part is true, but I think the problem is that when he says either or, right? When there is that comparison, the apologetics for Iran. It's not that he's wrong about Saudi Arabia. No, so what they don't tell you um, again, Saudi and uh, the Saudi regime, right? It's one of the worst regimes on the planet for reasons beyond fifteen of the hijackers being Saudi. Okay, like that is okay. So, so I'm I'm trying to make it clear here that, in fact, when it comes to human rights violations, Saudi Arabia is second only to North Korea. Okay, it's, but um, because I'm also counting Yemen right now, right? Not just what they're doing internally. Um, however, when it comes to this narrative, right, it is true that we have evidence that there are some people who have ties to some people who are part of the government in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. That indirectly, some of those people that were connected to those people what had some ties to the people who made the plans for the 9-11 attacks, right? But there's multiple degrees of separation. Like just a just a, not not enough degrees of separation for, for us not to blame the Saudi regime, right? But there's some degrees of separation, okay? Maybe one or two, okay? Here and there. Um, however, when it comes to the same types of attack from the Islamic Republic of Iran, there is no degrees of separation, okay? So the attacks, first of all, people say there's no terrorist attacks. That's nonsense. There has been direct terrorist attacks, even recently. Yeah. Um, I will tell you one of them, one of them. There has been many since 1979, right? But the thing is that the attacks... Like international, international terrorist attacks. Yes, Iran. yes. Um. But the attacks that has been planned by the Islamic Republic of Iran, it's official position of the people who are in power, right? Yeah. And one of the recent ones that was planned in 2018, here's the thing. The reason why this, actually, I don't know why this is not getting enough more, more attention, partly because it didn't go through, partly because Mossad figured it out and told the Europeans about it, and they stopped it, okay? This attack that was planned in 2018, okay, by um, Asadullah Asadi, Asadullah Asadi, Asadullah Ali or Asadullah Asadi? I think Asadullah Asadi, right? Mm -hmm. Just recently, his, you know, it, this is like a public information right now, and his, his trial is there, all the evidence on it is there. Nobody is even denying, even the Islamic Republic of Iran is not denying that this was happening. Okay, this man gave 
explosives to a couple, an Iranian couple, to go and do an attack on an event in Paris. Okay? Um, an event where hundreds of civilians were present. Okay? Granted, they were the MEK, and the MEK is cringe. However, there were still civilians, right? And the president, and also, um, we had American politicians. Giuliani was present again. Granted, Giuliani is cringe, but still, it's a U.S. politician. <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of other European politicians were were there as well, right? And guess what? This guy. Got this guy. Do you think he, Ali? This guy was not somebody that just had ties to the Iranian government. This guy was an Iranian diplomat. Mm -hmm. He is. He what? He, he is the Iranian government. Okay? In contrast to the nineteen hijackers. Who yes. Yes. Were and this is only the most recent one. Okay. This would have been. A massive, a devastating attack. Okay, and this is so amazing because usually most of the attacks that Iran does, uh, they they were more careful uh, because they try to use proxies. So there's some plausible deniability that it's them, right? They use Hezbollah, um, you know, they use Ashishabi, they use the other the other Shia proxies when they want to do terrorist attacks around the world. They usually don't use their own citizens. But this one, not only they were using their own citizen, they were using their own diplomat. And, and the only defense they had against this is that this guy should have diplomatic immunity. That was yeah. a, that is their actual defense. Not that this wasn't happening. Not that this attack, they're like, he's a diplomat and he shouldn't go to trial. They were actually asking for diplomatic immunity for a terrorist attack. Yeah. Okay. And it's so amazing because I watch a lot of these well, people. I mean, maybe that's why they'd use a diplomat. It's like, <laughs> but how could that work? Yeah, I know it's it like... can work, but they, they can, it can, they can do their net because you know the usual, the way that they play this stuff is really interesting because they'll come and they'll talk about all their political prisoners and all the gay people they're hanging from cranes and everything that Iran's doing, and then when any Western interviewer asks them about it, they're like, "Well, you know, in the U.S., you have the highest incarceration rate in the world," and they're not wrong about that, but we look for these sort of uh, gotcha type of rebuttals of things like well he's a diplomat the u.s diplomats would get immunity or your cia agents get immunity i don't know why okay we're, i don't know why you're doing a pakistani accent these are pretty i didn't i'm talking like this pakistani accent would be like oh, pakistan. this. Okay. diplomatic immunity that's not what i said okay okay, okay. um let's do this for the rest of the show no <laughs> no no but it's interesting because i listen to a lot of these podcasts and they're like why are we putting sanctions against Iran, okay, where Saudi Arabia, like, and then and the same podcast or the same YouTube videos or stuff, they say, like, we should put economic pressure on Saudi Arabia for, and then, like, like well, by the same standards, we should put economic pressure on the Islamic Republic of Iran. Why are you not consistent with your own standards? Uh, the things that I'm going to list to you, right? So a lot of people like, oh, sanctions and uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran is not justified because, I'm, because you know, they have a right to have nuclear energy or whatever. I, right now, for this, for this podcast, I'm not even going to talk about the nuclear energy or nuclear weapons or anything like that, right? I'm going to talk about the things that would, based on international standards right now, would justify putting sanctions on Islamic Republic of Iran, even if, it if, even if they had zero nuclear plants, even if they had no nuclear ambitions at all, right? The attacks like this on European soil would be cause enough to justify, this is an act of war against France. And and the Europe, the fact that the entire European Union is not even waging war right now, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying they should, but the fact that they're not, this is like major restraint. And here's the thing, this is not getting international attention. Like, if somebody points a gun at you and they think it's loaded, and then they squeeze the trigger, and it doesn't shoot because it was it was not loaded. 
does that make their crime any less than the same scenario if they actually if there was actually bullets in it it's the same goddamn action right mm -hmm. so the, the the fact that iran um and an iranian diplomat tried to do this the consequences to this has not been as significant as you know as, as the as as it would have been if the same people uh, would have wanted if Saudi Arabia did, did something like this right now. Right? Yeah, and, and the so, thing is that there have been there has been president. There, there are people who've tried to do these terrorist attacks and failed, like the shoe bomber or the underwear bomber. I mean, like all, all these guys, like they had failed attacks, but they still went through the same kind of. It wasn't. Yeah, but we're talking. I'm not talking about individuals right now. Yeah, we're trying you're to talking figure about the out state thing. I, I know, but. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really trying to compare two states with each other right now. Yeah, yeah. And not, and try to see why some people are not, not, not holding uh, the Islamic Republic to the same standards that they hold Saudi Arabia for, and vice versa. Something when it comes to right wing. I, I, people, I, don't right? you think it's more vice versa? Oh yeah, well we have so many episodes on the vice versa part of we it, do right? Have, yeah, so Leo yes. is clear on that. That it, it is we do think that Saudi Arabia gets a that like, gets a free Easy. pass on things way oh, yeah. more around it. Obviously, around oh it. no, yeah, no, it doesn't get a free pass. It gets the biggest arms deals on the planet yeah. uh, as a reward for bombing civilians. So we're like we have many streams, you Talking know, that. being so annoyed with the fact that Saudi Arabia. Get so much reward for doing the worst crimes in you know in our lifetime, right? right yeah. So so yeah, but we have to do that. Here's the thing: we just we do it both ways, right? You know, you know, when we just we're just holding the same standard for both of these countries, right? Um. So second, so that was the first example. Let's go to the second example. Okay. What was the catalyst? The trigger that managed to finally finally get the entire world pay attention to Saudi Arabia as a country. Can I tell you? That, yes. Jamal Khashoggi. Yes. One journalist. You. And that, 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 that it really is amazing. I think about that a lot. Right. Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist who, you know, MBS had killed in, in the Saudi embassy in, in Ankara in, in Turkey. And it's you're right. It's amazing. It's like decades and decades of human rights abuses, not allowing women to drive. You know, killing people for sorcery, uh, like officially beheading them for sorcery, bombing Yemen. Um, I, I, you know, the all all of this stuff, everything that they've done. I mean, I, I can't even count it. We can't. It'll take ages to just list everything. And the one thing that got everybody riled up beyond yeah. anything else was the Jamal Khashoggi story. Yes, not hundreds of thousands of people who are being bombed by uh, and being killed and starved to death for disease, for direct bombing and everything in Yemen, but one guy. However, like I have to remind people because every time I see these people, some people think like I'm dismissing uh, how big of a deal the killing of Khashoggi was. Like that guy was a hero. Like that guy, Khashoggi. Um, like I'm not when I say. That why is this killing of one man is getting so much more attention than hundreds of thousands of other people? I'm not trying to dismiss how the fact that his his death was a tragedy and a crime, right? I'm just trying to say that instead of paying less attention to Khashoggi, maybe pay also more the same level of attention to all the other human rights violations. We shouldn't dismiss right. Khashoggi at all. But but let's for the sake of comparison, let's look at a similar thing that happened, somewhat similar, somewhat worse, uh, that happened with, with with a journalist in the Islamic Republic of Iran, right? So Khashoggi was not a U.S. citizen. Okay, he was a U.S. resident. That was good enough to make him apparently more important than your average Saudi, okay? For it to get, uh, justify this level of international attention, right? We have a similar person that was recently executed by the Islamic Republic of Iran, uh, and his name was Ruhal Lazab, mm -hmm. a journalist, a resident of France, not a citizen of France, but a resident of France, okay? He was lured in 
Twitter rock. All right. Somebody promised them some resources and stuff to basically, he's a journalist. He like, just like Koshokshi was killed right when he was making some plans to do some things on social media, bring more attention to uh, certain causes and stuff. He was killed. Koshokshi was in the same process of coming up with some plans and stuff. And he went to Iraq to meet with some people and he didn't know this people that he's meeting were basically the Islamic Republic of Iraq. In you know, with the help of some people who have ties to the government of Iraq and basically the government in Iraq at that point, or maybe even now is a puppet of the Islamic Republic of Iran right now, but at least many elements of it. Um, they arranged that and they met with him and they kidnapped him and they flew him back to Tehran. Okay. And he was recently executed. Okay. Khashoggi was, uh, here's the difference. Saudi Arabia went out of its way to try to hide the fact that they're killing Khashoggi. Iran yeah. bragged about it. Iran bragged about it. Iran publicly interviewed him before his execution, put it on national TV, uh, broadcasted his court, and then openly came out and announced that he was executed. Okay? Yeah. And Khashoggi was asleep before, like they put him to sleep with chloroform or whatever before they kill him. Khashoggi, um, but Ruhullah Zambros probably hanged slowly to death. Not the, one of those situations where you drop somebody and their neck breaks and they die right away. No, so they you lift, lift you up. up. You lift them up and they die slowly. Um, Ruhullah Zam, his death was not only, his death was not only celebrated, they made a TV, they, the first, one of the most popular TV series in Iran, um, the first episode of the f second season was dedicated to glorifying how amazing the intelligence agencies of Iran, the operation that went into capturing Ruhollah That's how much, that's how proud and open, openly, uh, how proud of it they are and openly are bragging about it. Mm. Right? But, but there's also, like, it, it, Iran, Iran is uh, like a, pariah and they seem to be pretty comfortable with being a pariah on the global stage saudi arabia is not like that saudi arabia wants to maintain alliances with the western world it wants to do business with them it wants to attract investment um iran doesn't want to do that and so i'm curious what iran kind of does want to do it but they, they're very defiant and and going against what the world wants them to do why, why is iran so comfortable being a pariah while Saudi is so intent on getting the favor of the Western world? Well, because um, the Saudi, the House of Saud's wealth is tied into um, people, the international world buying its oil and the relationship it has with Western countries and now more likely China and uh, Israel. Um, um, alliances they have when it comes to defense because they are also they're terrified right next to Iran they're, uh, Iran and basically their Shia crescent is growing around them and they're terrified about it so they need their allies they need their customers and they need to buy their weapons so their entire wealth and resources and security is tied into their international allies um, the element their, the IRGC part of the Islamic Republic of Iran on the other hand is its resources and its wealth is tied into uh, Iran um, becoming isolated from the international community. Like the more isolated Iran is, the more of a monopoly they're going to have over um, the market, the economy of Iran, and the more control they're going to have over it. So basically their wealth and resources directly tied into that. So that, that's what I think was at least one of the main element reasons. Um, so that's that. Um, Oh, Susanna is asking a question. Susanna is asking a question. What, did that answer your question, Ali? Yeah, yeah, I got it. I, yeah. So um, yeah, Susanna is saying, what do you think of Masih Ali Najad? Um, she's the Iranian activist and author. Um, mm -hmm. Consistently calling or comparing the government of Iran to ISIS. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Um, I do. I do. I don't fault her for doing it because, I mean, it gets... She needs to make get the attention of people, um, and it works, right? Um, in some, you know, it's just wait. 
it's okay to compare everything with anything else, but it's not just that this, she's comparing it. She's saying that they're the same, right? Because you could compare things that are not the same and tell you when you're comparing things and say like, this is how they're same. This is how they're different. Like we're, we're doing right now with Iran and Saudi Arabia, yeah. right? Which she's she's but, saying they're the same? Yes, she's saying they're the same. Um, and they're not. That's a very simplistic view of looking at it. In some cases, they might be even worse. Um, given the number of victims that the Islamic Republic of Iran has. They're, well, I mean, they're a lot smarter. They're a lot more strategic. Um, so they last longer, and they could have a lot, lot more victims in the long run than uh, you know ISIS has because of the fact that they're more strategic. They're a lot more, yeah, they're not like, they're not, yeah, they're a they're a lot more clever when it comes to their policies and the way they go about doing things than ISIS. And they're also not, I mean, even though the number of victims um, is higher, they're not, that's a function of them surviving for longer, not a function of them being more, like there are certain things that ISIS will kill you for and it's free to do in Iran, right? So it's not, you know, and like music is not banned, smoking is not banned, you know, you're not going to get, there are many things that are, again, this is not, the way people, the way women walk in Iran is a lot less restrictive than ISIS would like it. So again, this is not me trying to make the Islamic Republic look better, because again, the fact is that they have higher number of victims than ISIS, but um but yeah, it's a lot less restrictive. Islamic Republic of Iran is a lot less restrictive on people than the than ISIS is, and even Saudi Arabia is a lot less restrictive on people than ISIS would ever be. I think these are meant to be like shocking statements that grabs attention, and it works, I guess. Um, but they're very different, very very different, um, both in both in strategy. Um, and the level of restrictions that they apply. And they think like, I mean, ISIS crucifies people. Your Islamic Republic of Iran yeah. doesn't crucify anybody. Again, but I think on, on, on a broad level, yeah. if you want to get a message across, like, I, I, like I, I've thought of this, a lot of things that uh, ISIS has done, um, the kind of punishments that they dole out to blasphemers and apostates and gay people and and not the making the non-muslims pay the jizya tax and i do the way they treat their women uh to making them all cover them up forcefully and i mean this is not i think the the point is that there is a general a uh, high level uh, comparability right between the two but we just look at one as this sort of renegade stateless force and the other one, there's this official state doing these things. So why are we um, treating one differently and giving it more dignity than we are treating uh, the other one if they are you know, doing some of Well, you can't, I mean, that is- I mean, okay. that's, a, that's a high level argument, right? That's, that's Yeah, but even I wouldn't ask for, like right now I'm asking for some consistency when it comes to Saudi Arabia and Iran. But when it comes to ISIS and Islamic Republic, even I wouldn't ask for consistency. Like, if you go and right yeah. now, uh, like, no, like I wouldn't support like an outright attack. And yeah, no. So no, they're complete. They're different. I see why some people would do so. Again, I'm not trying to excuse anything that Islamic. In fact, I'm doing the opposite here right now, right? Um, but I me, mean, like right now, right now in in Iran, people go and openly are attacking Khamenei. Like, I can't believe that we're here now that people can openly say that they don't like him, they don't they don't like his regime. Um, but that is happening. This is something that wasn't happening 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, in Iran, right? Um, again, this is not a just... I'm not trying to excuse it because still, um, I have to keep reminding people because people think that now I'm whitewashing the Islamic Republic of Iran. The number of victims of the Islamic Republic of Iran is higher than ISIS, okay? So, you know, again, this is the difference between a Kalashnikov and an atomic bomb, right? An atomic bomb, if you keep using it, it will kill more people, but you're not going to, if you're not, like, ISIS is more like an atomic bomb. Like, it came and it went, and now it's, like, very small, um, but the Kalashnikov has more victims even though it's less destructive than an, than an atomic bomb, if you constantly use it, it's going to have a much higher number of victims, right? So that's why more people die from a Kalashnikov than an atomic bomb. So yeah. again, 
Yeah, but if somebody wants to make it seem like I'm trying to make excuses for the Islamic Republic of Iran, I guess they could cut something out of this and make it seem make it seem like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you think like me saying um, ISIS is more violent and more strict and more violent um, than Islamic Republic of Iran, if you think that's me just trying to make excuses for the for for them, then you then you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, like, so, that's my favorite part of everything. Yeah. Okay, okay so let's go this, on. Third thing. Okay. Third thing is um, attack on their own people, like violent attack on their own people, right? Um, one, one thing, for example, a lot of people keep, a lot of left-leaning people bring attention to um, is how feminists, how descendants in Saudi Arabia get executed. Um, and I again remember Kyle Kolinsky was saying like, "Oh my God, look at this is our ally. They killed thirty-seven people and were executed in this year, um, and because they were, the, you know, because of the the things that they believed or the things that they said." And I'm and I'm like looking at him and I in shock that he's like saying that because this is this, and he's like demanding that United States does some take some measures against Saudi Arabia active intervention to try to like stop its ally from doing something like this against its own people. And I'm like, I mean, again, 37 is horrible, uh, obviously in Saudi Arabia, that's horrible. But between, uh, again, th this is number, this number has been disputed so much. So I don't know exactly who's telling the truth, but at least 300 or th so Susanna saying it was 37 at one execution, not the whole year. Okay, thank you, Susanna. All right, so however, we compared that 37. Thank you, Susanna, for correcting me. Um, we compared that 37 to the same, to an event which was under, in, in one protest in under two weeks, uh, the Islamic Republic shot people in the streets. And number, again, this is a, this is, Again, pro-regime people, anti-regime people. Reuters says at least 1,500 people were killed. Uh, some people say um, more than 300. So I know this is a huge margin. Um, but again, I don't know who you're going to believe. At least 300 people, according to Reuters, at least 1,500 people uh, were killed just by people coming out in the streets protesting, and the government decided to shoot them. And this is, these are recent. These are all recent. This is less than a year, right? You go. Um, I mean, actually, no, about a year ago. So again, based on the same standards, they want the United States to intervene and put pressure on Saudi Arabia because of human rights violations like this, where we see a much, but then based on the same standards, like, Again, without the nuclear, without in the nuclear ambitions, without anything like this, when it comes to other countries, the world, the civilized world, trying to put sanctions and pressure on a country that has such a abysmal human rights violation, you have fifteen. Like, imagine what happened to, um, what was that country? I forgot. Never mind. But if any other country, when when they do this, and the international world, like, oh, we need to put pressure on them. Uh, they don't get as many leftists coming out and being like, oh, no, no, you don't have a right to say this. This is like fear-mongering, blah, blah, blah. Get out of there. Uh, do not. Uh, it's not our, not our business. Again, maybe it is none of your business. Maybe it is. But why is it that when Iran does it, all of these, a lot of these leftists jump out of the bushes and come and say like, oh, it's none of our business, right? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Why is it not with other countries when they have human rights violations? I mean, these people also say that we need to put like uh, a lot of pressure uh, on Israel, on Saudi Arabia. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I mean, when it, if it was Israel doing uh, even a quarter, mm. even a quarter of those things, then uh, especially the leftist world will absolutely jump on it. And, and sure, you know, for it's not that those reasons aren't legitimate or that they don't have some weight to them, but um, mm. we're talking about as a double standard. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, I'm on board with them when they say the United States needs to put pressure on Saudi Arabia or even put pressure on um, Israel. Right. Uh, again, mm -hmm. there's many things about Israel that I like and there's many things about Israel that I don't like. The fact that um, Israel's human rights violation doesn't 
get any level of scrutiny from the American government. That's something that is when they pointed out, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. why is it that this doesn't get more? Like, why is it that Israel doesn't get more put more under pressure for, um, you know, there's no consequences to any of the things that they do. Okay. Right. So, and yeah, but, but again, apply the same arguments. Like Israel has never, like, like this was in two, 1500 people die in two, being shot to death in, two, in under two weeks. Show me something similar in Israel. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there was the bombing. That was like years ago, but I'm talking about it recently. Okay. But mm -hmm. again, again, those events that they mentioned, again, justify it for you to put pressure on Israel. Again, but same thing, same apply the same standards for putting pressure on Iran. Again, this by itself will justify sanctions. Okay. By the way, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, sanctions hurt the people. Uh, it doesn't hurt the government. Well, not necessarily, okay? Because just because I'm saying sanctions, that doesn't mean I'm justifying all forms of sanctions. There are smart ways of doing sanctions. There are dumb ways of doing sanctions. There's uh, smart ways of doing sanctions, right? There are very more, more nuanced, more targeted sanctions against specific individuals that could hurt specific elements within the country even though if they even without them having leaving iran or without them doing business with people uh with westerners or any other countries if you do sanctions on specific groups of people or specific organizations specific individuals uh you know with two or three degrees of separation or even more completely they would they you could isolate these people you could make these people untouchable even if they never leave iran even people in iran would not want to touch them because then they would be on a blacklist because nobody would be able to work with them as well right there are ways, there are more clever ways to come up with sanctions that could hurt specific people that you want to target. And if you could do that, like more people, this is what I, this is why I like Biden being in power because it's easier for Europe and United States and Canada to be now on the same side of putting pressures on specific groups of people and specific individuals because now they're working with each other that that maximizes the harm to those groups and those people and reduces the harms to other civilians in that country so there are more clever ways to do sanctions properly which doesn't hurt the civilians but you're going to say something no 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 go ahead so right no but okay, oh, no, okay. Yeah, no, no sorry i do i do remember what i was gonna say do they do that though do they do yeah. that and is there an example of how they've done it well, the European Union, for example, is now putting um, came up with a list of people uh, who they want to put uh, sanctions on in Iran uh, for their for the, for exactly the human rights violations that I mentioned, right? And this is again, this is a list of people, right? Um, not the entire country, which is a, a very clever way. And for example, again, you want to be consistent. The Biden administration um, identified. Um, all, all the people that they have proof for that was responsible for the killing of Khashoggi, and they're putting those individuals under sanctions, right? So here's the problem. They're not putting MBS on any sanction, but they can't because he is a head of state and they can't put him under sanction or else they're basically... So again, it's moving. It's not perfect, but it's moving in the right direction. They are, the Biden administration is clearly signaling to the Saudi regime that they don't like working with MBS. When Biden went and instead of talking to MBS, talked to his father instead, you know, so, you know, it's not easy to do these, but right now, the, so far, the Biden administration has been very clever and very, and very strategic with the way that they're doing this. And things are moving in the right direction. Both United States and European Union, they're coming up with more, uh, strategic ways of uh, using sanctions because guys there's only people who say we can't we should not do anything okay you have to understand when it comes to human rights violations there's only three options okay either you want to get involved with military or you want to do nothing or you could use your economic leverage okay there's no other option but you cannot if you don't want to do military, and I'm, I agree with that. I don't want to. I don't want to do military. Either. But if your only other option is to do nothing, you are on the side of the people who said, 
who missed the point of never forget, who missed yeah. the point of, you know, constant human rights violation around the world where people just sit by and like, it's none of our business, you know, like all of these, you know, again, I don't know. Like if I pacifists. Yeah, no, but no, but but here's what it's very interesting because a lot of these people, you know, go to Holocaust museums and they look at it and like, oh, how could people back then let this happen? I know I said the H word, it's fine. Uh, sorry. But then Army. you know, and then and then and then Rwanda happens, and then people are like, Oh my god, how could we or what we watched Rwanda happen and we did nothing? Well, guess what? If you're on the side of not nothing, doing nothing. Then you are going to be one of those people that where future generations are going to look at and give like, you, oh, you guys just stood by and did nothing. Okay? George Orwell. And, George Orwell. He wrote this piece. I don't know if you've read it, Armin. You'd love it. It, it was called. He wrote it during World War II around that I read time. Animal said, Farm. Yeah. No, not Armin. Yeah. He used to write a lot of nonfiction articles too, and it was called yeah. uh, "Pacifism is Objectively Fascist" or something like that. I'm going to get the exact yeah. link, and he was making the exact same point that. Right. You know, when, when you talk about pacifism, you, you really are siding with the like. You know that that whole they always mock Bush for saying if you're not with us, you're against us. In that context, it was a problematic statement. But in yeah. some cases, that is true. In some yeah. cases, when you're faced with really, really egregious atrocities, then um, pacifism really is objectively pro-fascist. Right. Yeah. And here's he, that's a very good point. And here's another thing: you're take you're not people like. Why are you meddling in other countries? Well, why are you like if you don't want to trade with another country, if you and your buddies don't want to trade with another country, you're not meddling with their business. You're like, oh, you have a pure, uh, poor human rights, uh, human rights record. We don't want to deal with you. So if you say, no, you have to deal with them, now you're meddling in these countries. You know what I mean? Let's say like country A, B, and C have a good human rights record. Right, and country D has a p poor human rights record. Okay, so you say A, B, and C are like, you know what? We don't like dealing with people with countries that have a, a poor human rights record. Right, so you're like, oh, you guys shouldn't meddle with D. D uh, can do whatever they want within their own borders. Like, you're like, yeah, they can, sure, but we could also decide which countries, like, it's also our right. To decide who we want to deal with, who we want to trade with is also our right, right? I mean, I, I, I actually I reject that point that it's their right to treat their people the way they want, as if they own their own people. Like, if you're a government, that doesn't mean you're the people, citizens of your country is your property. The, the way you treat your citizens, it should be everyone's business because it's, a, it's you know, it's, these are our fellow earthlings. I don't give a crap that they're your citizens. You don't own them. Right, it is my business how you treat your citizens, even if they're not in my country, or even if I'm not, you know, it is my business. They're felt, they're my, they might not be my fellow countrymen. I don't give a crap that they're not my fellow countrymen, they're my fellow human beings, right? So, this idea, these are our citizens, we get to treat them the way we want. No, screw that, right? But even if you wanted to, if that was your way of thinking, when you put sanctions on a country, um. You are not, you know, you could you could see that as meddling in their business, or you could see be like, well, as an independent country, if you tell me that that you have to trade with this country, now you're meddling with my country. I have a right not to trade with the countries that I don't want to. So you could argue, like, sure, well, United States can do that, but United States goes and twists the arm of any other country as well, make it difficult for them not to deal with Iran as well. Well, they're twisting their those other countries' arms. How? by telling them that we're not going to deal with you if you work with them as well. So technically, that's also could be seen as not meddling. Technically, you could tell them that, well, you don't have a right to our businesses, to our to have good trade agreements with us. Like, why do you think like, the, why does the in every country in the planet think like they're entitled to having good trade relationship with the United States. If United States, if you really want to have, have to have good trade relationship with the United States, that is not your right. Maybe if United States want to United States and European countries want to make that conditional of you having a good human rights record, that is their right to do that. And I think that's a good policy to have, right? Especially now, given that China is more and more becoming, you know, 
um, an alternative. I think it's important for United States and European countries to do more trade agreements with alternatives to China to make their economy big enough uh, so that China is not going to be, if you if China offers something to you, um, even if you have a poor human rights record, it, it shouldn't be good enough. Like, for example, like supporting countries like Vietnam, right? Um, and many other countries in that, in that region like that. Mean that okay, sure, you might be able to get a loan or trade agreements with China, even, but you're going to be missing and like I don't know, eighty percent of the rest of the world's economy, right? So it needs to be so that these other countries that are have close connections with United States to become so significant. So th this the whole strategy need, is beyond, you know. It needs, you know, this is why Trump was such a disaster because it alienated United States um, and made strategies like this a lot more difficult, right? Um, I have one last yeah, thing yeah. that I want to um, compare, to, but mm -hmm. unless you want to say something, no, I, I think dude, go ahead. Let's do that because I, this is actually really good. So let's do the. We've got we've got ten more minutes, so I'll just talk about it, and then we'll take a couple more. Yeah. Uh, so no, the last thing I just wanted to say was the thing that we mentioned before. Um, um, it's true that Saudi Arabia's um, war on Yemeni's people is the greatest human rights violation of our of our time. One of the greatest ones, actually. I don't know if it's no, maybe North Korea. What's happening in North Korea? No, no. no def, if you if you want to count, but um, do body count, it would be Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah. So. However, one thing we have to understand is that everything wrong with Saudi Arabia today is because of the Islamic Republic of Iran, right? Um, everything, and again, I don't want to, this is, again, if you're an idiot, you might think that I'm justifying what Saudi Arabia is doing because they, if you think that, I don't know, I, I don't know if I, if I should argue with you because you're, you're a moron. Um, so maybe it's a waste of time telling you why that's not the case, but but what's happening is that Saudi Arabia's um, Wahhabism is poor internal human rights record and its war on Yemen has all been because of their f fear. I mean, okay, the fear is justified. The reaction is not justified. So the so justified fear that they have of the Islamic Republic of Iran have made them do things that are absolutely, saying that they're not justified doesn't even begin to describe it, right? But um, the fact that Wahhabism became so influential after 1979, the fact that even everything... Everything that, even if you have if these terrorists that have done attacks all around the world, the Wahhabi, not the Shia ones, not the Hezbollah ones, but the Sunni ones, right? All the terrorist attacks they've done, even if there's no, there is, but let's say even if there's no connection between them and, you know, the Saudi government, the fact is that the Saudi government spread the ideology that was responsible for the rise of these people as a reaction to Iran exporting as the the Velayat yes. al uh, concept outside of its border, right? So everything Saudi Arabia is doing is a reactionary... So Saudi, here's the thing. Saudi Arabia has no ambitions to expand its borders or to be influential outside of its borders. Saudi Arabia, as the government, just wants to be able to stay in Saudi Arabia without Iran coming out and chewing on the Shia parts of Saudi Arabia, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any empire-building ambitions, okay? Yeah. Again, but the Islamic Republic of Iran is trying to build an empire. It's trying to build a Shia empire. It's trying to, like, even if Saudi Arabia was not there at all, okay, the Islamic Republic of Iran is wants to be involved outside of its borders in an aggressive way. Okay, so so this is where the the theme of what the show is really comes in, <clears throat> and and this is this is an important difference that I don't think a lot of people realize. Iran is legitimately Islamic Republic of Iran is legitimately 
um, obsessed with, you know, they're messianic. They believe that there is a Messiah coming back. I mean, the people in the high, the hardliners, they are religious, like they're genuinely religious. And yes, they use the nationalism thing. They use whatever they can to get their people under their control. But there is a an actual religious, dogmatic, um, canonical religious founding to their approach to the world around them. Saudi Arabia, relatively, and I'm not saying it's totally across the board this way, but Saudi Arabia, relatively, the Saudi monarchy is, they're corrupt, they're cruel, they're terrible. It's, like you said, it's one of the worst regimes on the planet. But the Saudi monarchy is not religious. Well, actually, in this case, they're actually a little bit more similar than I think you're suggesting because the Saudi structure is the dance between two sources of powers is the house of Wahhab and the house of Saad. When it comes to the house of Saad, they could, they couldn't care less about religion. That's what I'm talking about. Like that, so let me be clear that I'm talking about the house of Saud, the Saudi monarchy. Right. Like I'm not right. actually talking about the Wahhab and the religious, all, all of the other things, but the Saudi right. monarchy is, I mean, these are people, I remember when I was in high school, I, I, I did go to a few parties where there were people from the Royal family and it is it's the boat. They're, the most secular, they're like beyond secular people that you're ever going to meet. Right. They do everything that they don't allow anybody else to do. Um, so, and then they do it all behind closed doors. Yeah, but but here's why they're similar, actually, because more similar now these days than before. Because the House of Wahab was a major threat, you know, so right before 1979, the Saudi, the House of Saud decided that we want to be less religious, more westernized, McDonald's everywhere, reporters with no hijab. And they were like, this is great. We love this. It's beautiful. We have so much money. We want to make sure that we look the part and this is a modern, this looks like a modern country, right? right? And then the, the, the revolution happened in Iran and there was an attack on Kaaba by these Wahhabis. And Saudis like remi were reminded of how influential the Wahhabis are in Saudi Arabia. Like, we need to give these, these mofos whatever they want or else they're going to come and behead us, right? Um, and even though they managed to get that guy and kill him, they were like, okay, let's put the Wahhabs, let's give the Wahhabis whatever they want, okay? And they put them everywhere, right? And But now they're also going trying to go back, like, let's try going away from, from this whole Wahhabi situation again, right? So they're trying that again. But again, this whole Wahhabis becoming so influential was, again, in response to the 1979 Islamic Revolution uh, in Iran. Um, so they're scared of them. Um, but, you know, but however, in Iran, um, it was the other way around. There's, again, there's this, this binary situation exists to some extent. You have some people, the people that are really in control again i'm not i'm not going to make any guesses about their personal beliefs but they act in a way that it doesn't seem like religion is the issue okay so i'm not saying their personal belief is not based on religion but they they act exactly the same way that you you would think somebody would act if the only thing that would mattered was maximum control and maximum power right mm. so that will require you using people who are extremely this uh, have this messianic view and you know love Hussein and I can't wait for the Mahdi to come back. You need you know like if you were being very strategic, you wouldn't ignore that. That is all of that is extremely useful, right? But again, you could completely be only obsessed with making sure that you have maximum control. And this, if you were playing game theory, it would still involve you using all this religious narratives uh, to get what you want, right? Um, so again, I'm not denying, I'm not saying they don't believe it, but this is what, it, what we're saying. However, what's happening now is what happened with Saudi Arabia where the Wahhabis became a Frankenstein monster that hates the house of, like, these Salafis and these terrorists are not, which is something that they created, um, and now it's coming back at them. 
um, in a way that they're the Saudis are enemy number one. It's not happening to the same extent in Iran, but it is a dog that the leash is getting a bit looser. Like especially we saw a little hints of that when it comes to the. Uh, again, I can't. I'm not going to say much about this disease that is going around these days because YouTube doesn't like it when we talk about that. But you could see that when the government, even the officials wanted to put restrictions on people going to the shrines and stuff, there was this outright revolt against of extremely religious people against the government, right? So it was the first time us seeing like religious people um, of standing up against the government, right? Because they're like they're even more religious than the government, right? Um, but that's not that's very recent and yeah. that's very uh, small. However, I'm just what I'm trying to suggest is that this whole idea of having people who are influential in the government, some of them being um, actually religious. Uh, who have a lot of control and using the, their main goal is to see Mahdi come back. These people don't last that long in power, you know, because because they're idiots, right? The people who become more and more influential as time goes by are people who are strategically like the most extreme version of people who actually believe that the Mahdi is something the end of time is coming was ISIS. And you see how long they lasted, right? The, nat the natural way of things is that people, the people who eventually rise up are people who are just being strategic. Again, they use religion all the time, but they're acting exactly the same way that you would expect them if they weren't even religious at all, you know? Hmm. But again, I'm not saying they're not religious, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, awesome. Okay, the word... We're uh, at time right now, so let's take. Uh, do you want to take two questions or one question? Or yeah, um, let's yeah, take the yeah. ones with uh, Salvador Dali. There's some comments here uh, where you we know we can read the about... comments. As well. Yeah, so th let's go with James Shermer uh, at 11:50 p.m. Uh, and he uh, says, "I'm highlighting." Okay. Sure. Yeah, he's saying I'm encountering the same problems in the U.S. with addressing current issues within the PRC, the People's Republic of China, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. As in the double standard, I think. The double standard, I think he's yeah. talking about that. The, the Tom yeah, Watson is saying, if you're really committed to non-interventionism, I don't see how that's any different to just being an isolationist. Uh, yeah. I think I, isolationist would be more of an economic term than a non-interventionist. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, th I think he's... Um, like I kind of get what Tom's saying. Um, I, did, I did post a link in this uh, in in you guys this whole live stream, like the chat thing that the link to what I was talking about, the George Orwell article on how uh, pacifism is objectively pro-fascist. Um, Salvador Dali's got a couple of questions here. He's saying, "When will these governments fall down?" I mean, Iranian and Saudi. Um, well, let's read this one as well because saying which one do you think has more lasting power? Uh, and um, who's likely to fall first. Okay, so um, here's the thing: um, when when will this government fall down? Not only do I not know the answer to that question, the only thing I'm confident about is that anybody who's confident about knowing the answer to that question is full of crap. Yeah. Okay. Crap. That's the only thing that I'm confident. If anybody comes and gives you an answer with confidence to these to these questions, they're the idiot. Okay. The people who tell you that. Uh, this is we don't know the external factors is too high for anybody to come up with their any, any form of reliable prediction those people are the ones that you can trust more the people that are less confident are the people that you need to be uh, yeah. trusting more um but, however but I, yeah go ahead yeah however things given right now right now again anything everything could change on, on on with one protest with one action with one death with one attack, with things could change. Okay, yeah. things right now look more unstable for the Saudi uh, regime than the Islamic Republic of Iran. Okay, so yeah, that's that's true. But I think that that's one thing you can look at, like what looks unstable right now at this point. But there mm -hmm. is a general rule with historical precedent, and that is that uh, states that are able to evolve and adapt this is the darwinian rule right it's not the it's not really survival of the fittest or survival of the smartest it's survival of uh, the species that can adapt and that can evolve so right. the states that can actually evolve and adapt uh, with uh, you know regional geopolitics or the way that the world is they tend to right. be more enduring 
Um, but that can go the other way as well. I mean, like the Soviet no, Union. Huh? That's a very good point, Ali, because when I say less stable, that's not suggesting what Salvador was suggesting in lifetime, because that does not mean that it will lead to a fall. Yeah. Uh, this when something is unstable, it could lead to ev them ev like breaking apart and evolving into something that is, by definition, different than what it is right now. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. like, the Saudi regime could end not by its not by the whole system falling apart and people just running into their castles and grabbing it. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. The fall, the falling of the Saudi government could be it's com it, it completely breaking apart as as it's working right as now and it's right and it's yeah. being redefined into something new uh, without any. It could be without any bloodshed at all. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Again, that's so. This when when we say a, reg a regime is disabled, that that is not like oh, any day now they're gonna fall and the people are gonna, you know, the, the gates of the palaces are gonna be open and people are gonna get revenge. Like no, no you know, yeah, you know. but anything yeah. can happen. Okay, uh, that's, that's and then you also this is related. I think we've already talked about this sort of. Do you think if one of these governments fall, the other one would too? In a way, they're mutually intertwined for existence. I I don't think so. I don't think it's no. If if I care, it's the other way around. One of them yeah. falling would cause the stability of the other one. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, guys, uh, thank you for joining us. This is fascinating. So I think a lot of this is uh, I I learned a lot from this. I'm mean, usually when this was really good um everybody if you like what you're hearing, uh, especially if you're hearing this on audio on the public version, please uh, come to YouTube, subscribe. Um, yes. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the little bell so you get a notification every time we're on. And if you if you want to support us, go to Patreon.com/sjme, where you can be a patron for as little as as one dollar, and you can see all of these live streams and video live. Right. Get in and ask questions. Um, and I actually you know, have an idea for our patrons, Ellie. Let's do, let's do something because right now the patrons can ask their questions only if they're live here, right? And a lot of people yeah. can make it uh, to come and ask their questions live. Right, right now the questions and comments we read were live. And uh, let's do something new. Let's make it so that if you're a patron and we post an upcoming live stream, you could send us your questions uh, beforehand. And even if you're not watching us live. At the end of the stream, we answer the patron questions, even for the people who did, weren't able to show That's up. That's right. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and do we do now. we do have some restrictions in terms of how we can go live because, well, for a whole variety of reasons, I'm not going to get into. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, no. Tom Watson is actually saying thanks to you both. This is his first live stream. Tom, oh. I hope this is a good experience. I want you to come back, Tom. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to come back on April third, April thirtieth, last day. We are going to have a public live stream. It's an mm -hmm. Ask Us Anything. It's a total riot. It's a lot of fun. People talk to us and they offer to bake us cakes. And it's it's just really, really cool. So um, yeah. please do come. And I think that you'll really enjoy it. And Salvador is saying thanks, Armin and Ali, for responding to the question. Thank you, Salvador. Yeah. Those are really, really good questions. Yes. Um, so let's do All this. Right. We'll see you guys next time. Subscribe. Go to become a patron. And uh, we'll see you Monday night. Monday night is when we're going to be back. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends, write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions, or head over to secularjihadists.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you. Thank <laughs> you.